Looks right, throws a deep pass, right side, end zone, hits off, it's a touchdown! And the Cardinals continue to pour it on. Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by the Arizona Cardinals mobile app. Visit azcardinals.com slash app. Touchdown, Arizona! The latest news and notes from the guys who cover the team. Great move to the right at the 50. Cuts back to the left at the 40. He's loose at the 30. He's at the 20. The 10. Touchdown, Cardinals! Rise up and make a play. And what a hit! Oh, my goodness! He got crushed. You've got to be kidding me. Come off the ball with malice. Here's Paul Calvisi. You know, in honor of Cards Camp, gentlemen, I'm thinking we should start with something in the name of teamwork around here. Begrudgingly so, I'll be honest with you, but we really should pay it forward here on Cardinals Underground. Paul Calvisi, Kyle Odegaard, Darren Urban, and Craig Grealoux, who gets a little credit for, because of the fact that we're up here in different points of the stadium, State Farm Stadium, and obviously I happen to be above ground up on the concourse looking down. That's exactly what Craig Grillo says we should name this edition of the podcast, Cardinals Above Ground. There you go, as, as, as stated. That's it. That's all the credit Grillo gets now that he's a uh, decision-making producer around here, apparently. Honestly, Paul, uh, I can't get more in the bowels of State Farm Stadium than I am in right now, so I, I'm just going to uh, respectfully disagree. Well, it's not the first time you've been surrounded by Cinderblock, but we're not talking about your college days and uh, some Saturday nights you spent at the local PD. Uh, Kyle, how are we doing in this camp? I asked you earlier on uh, Cards Camp Central, uh, you know, how you thought you were faring during this Cardinals camp. And uh, honestly, your confidence was high, so it's good. It might be irrationally high. I feel like one of those players where, you know, they know they're going to make the team. They feel like they should be starting and then cut day comes and they're gone and they, they put blame on everybody else. When at the end of the day, you just have to look in the mirror and realize maybe my, my writing is subpar. My podcasting is subpar and this might be the last podcast for me. <laughs> it's, it's funny. Yesterday I tweeted out that uh, Larry Fitzgerald had uh, skipped out because at the time we thought it was a veteran's day off. And uh, somebody asked when I was going to take a veteran's day off. And I just said, look, I'm fighting for a roster spot every day. I mean, I can't be taking days off. Like that, I'm going to steal Wolf's story from when he was like a six-year veteran and he's sitting there at the breakfast table towards the end of camp and it's him and Roy Green and, and they're sitting there and there's a rookie and the rookie's eating his Cheerios and the coach comes up and goes, hey, uh, John, um, grab your playbook and uh, come up and see coach. But I have a meeting at 8.30. No, son, you don't. No more meeting for you. So that's the dose of reality that sometimes hits you right there in the ear hole that you never see coming. You know what I mean? Oh, boy. That's not good. I'll tell you what's sobering real quick coming here. And, and honestly, just coming to Cardinals camp has been an absolute blessing, okay, just to have a real excuse to get out of the house. I just, I mean, I'm, I'm not even overthinking this at all. But when I look down and I see the verdant green field here, and we just got off the hottest month in the history of Phoenix, and I've been struggling to keep the grass alive. You know, I come over here and I see Andy and his crew and the stellar job they're doing, so – uh, props to them for keeping the field up because it's the only grass field that they use and it's actually out right now getting some sun as uh, as the end of camp is coming. So with that being you're, the- you're right though, Paul, it, it does feel like it's 
it's a shred of normalcy for us going to training camp and, and watching them play football where, you know, a lot of people are still working from home. And it, it, it does feel like at least a semblance of, of what we're used to and there's no fans here and it is different. But it's it's certainly nice to have the players on the field. And they've done such an incredible job of following the COVID-19 protocols without a positive test for the Cardinals. And you just hope that everything stays going as smoothly as it has so far. How about the 49ers, Fred Warner, their standout middle linebacker? He ended up on the COVID-19 list, so it's interesting. I mean, there's still so many X factors as you get towards the opener. And the other thing I enjoy, honestly, about the whole pandemic coming to Cardinals camp is the reduced traffic. I mean, come on now. (laughs) Who's not all in for that, right? I mean, reduced traffic and the socially distanced parking. So guys like Craig Greeley won't door ding you out in the stadium parking lot. So I enjoy that as well. I got to be honest, Paul, uh, where I live in uh, South Tempe, uh, right on the Chandler border, I've, I've been taking the new 202 looping around. So I get I completely avoid downtown. It's, it's kind of nice. I mean, I know, you know, somebody like you who's been up north with the, the 101 all this time. I know you've been able to do all that stuff. But for the, us southern dwellers, uh, this new 202 is uh, pretty nice. Let's talk about uh, what, we're, what we expect coming here. We stand at 74 on the roster. There's going to be 53, Kyle. Help me out with the math. You're the analytics guy. 16 on the practice squad. So, and then what, wait a minute, how many undrafted rookie free agents are left at this point? Yeah, there's only four left. And you're right. If, if 16 players make the practice squad um, from this roster, you're only talking about, what, five more guys that will get released and not come back. And, and you never know. I mean, they might sign guys from other teams. But you do think about the number with the Cardinals and around the NFL. The vast majority of the guys that are left are going to be on a team in some, in some sort of fashion. So it's, it's a good accomplishment if you're still here. And like you said, four undrafted rookies left. I think you're right. Jojo Ward is is a guy that is still on the team, and you're one breakout player at camp. Should we talk about the other one? That oh, you know what? He he got claimed by the Jets, Zane Lewis. So maybe he's going to break out with the Jets. I don't know if you specified in Cardinals camp or. No, I'm glad you brought that up because at no point did I say it was a breakout player of Cards camp. I just said right. the breakout player of camp. If it's the Jets camp or Giants or CFL camp, you know, I mean, honestly, it's it, I think it still counts. Uh, well, I think that's a good way to cover yourself, Paul. That, that works well. <laughs> yeah, the St. Louis, look, a 50% hit rate on the breakout player at camp is a stellar percentage at this point. <laughs> oh, I, might, I might likely end up 0 for 2. As good as JoJo Ward has been, and you know what? This very practice today, he was the last guy on the field, JoJo Ward, the rookie out of Hawaii, the speedster. He's out there uh, taking catches from the jugs machine. D-Hop came out. It was actually sort of grabbing at his jersey, making him catch the ball, getting hit from the side and tugged as if a cornerback was draped all over him. So I think the other guys, the veteran guys, realize JoJo Ward can play. But, Darren, come on now. If there is a room that is stacked right now, it's got to be receiver, right? Well, you know, again, if you start talking about undrafted rookies, and I've been asked a couple different times if there's an undrafted rookie that's going to make this team, and there's only four of them. You mentioned Ward, Jonathan Ward, the running back's also in there, Reggie Walker, the linebacker, the the current undrafted rookie linebacker, not the former undrafted rookie linebacker that once made the Cardinals back in the day. Um, And and then uh, who am I missing? Oh, Jace Whitaker, the cornerback from U of A, actually. Um, You know, those are the four guys. We'll see if any of them get in there. The wide receiver room loaded. I I think, you know, Reggie Walker is an outside linebacker. I don't know if there's going to be room necessarily there for an undrafted guy 
not being able to play any preseason games. Um, we've talked a million times about the running back. We're trying to see if DJ Foster and or Eno Benjamin are both going to make this or how that's going to go. So it's, it's tough for him. Um, to me, Jace Whitaker in a cornerback spot that we're not sure about how they feel about the depth. Maybe that's a possibility, but you know, this was always going to be a year guys when it was going to be really difficult for any undrafted rookie to make the 53 man roster. And I don't know if I really, that and anything has really changed my mind at this point. And Eno Benjamin is a seventh rounder. I mean, Kyle, I think we're going to find out between Eno Benjamin and DJ Foster just how important special teams is because DJ Foster is considered a standout for Jeff Rogers, right? He's a vital part of, of virtually every special teams the Cardinals have. So what exactly does that mean in the final equation? And I, I think Eno Benjamin has looked too good for him to not make the team. So I, I personally feel like it's, are you going to keep four running backs or three? And DJ Foster, like you said, he's a key cog on special teams. He knows the system. He's probably the best receiving back they have. He can pass protect. So I feel like he does so many things that you could do a lot worse than keeping him as your fourth running back, knowing he has this versatility to fill in at so many different spots. And it is possible to stand out with a coach, Darren, during Cards Camp Central powered by Cox. We had a chance to go one-on-one -on -one with Cliff Kingsbury, and I flat out asked him, and, and he named Eno Benjamin from the red and white practice. He named Zeke Turner. He basically went out there and just hit anything that moved. He, he was very physical in that game, and he seemed to be in the right spot at the right time all, all the time. And then Rashard Lawrence got a shout-out from the head coach. So no preseason games, but if you're on it, the coaches are watching and you can definitely make that final impression and your last chance as they go into the final cutdown. It's going to be interesting to me. You, you mentioned um, Zeke Turner. When you talk about Zeke Turner and Dennis Gardeck and Trent Sherfield and Charles Washington, uh, these guys that have made their bones on special teams basically in this league. And now you're, you know, what, to me, what has preseason always been mostly about? In, especially the way it's evolved over the last five, six, eight years, it's, it's about the special teamers because I don't know if you really always get a good sense of offense, defense, uh, especially when you start talking about starters because everybody's so careful and vanilla. Special teams, you can really make a mark, and some of these younger guys can make their mark that way. And now you don't have those preseason games, so maybe those guys who have already shown they can play special teams, those four in particular, I think Jeff Rogers likes all four of them, you know, maybe maybe they they solidify their roster spots just because of that. And then you have the X factor on special teams. The, I know where this is going. The the quarterback. I'm not even going to call him a third string quarterback because right now, based on what Cliff Kingsbury said about the backup for the you know, the battle for the backup spot, I mean, we've got a full blown quarterback controversy going here. An absolute quarterback. Well, competition. Well, maybe not. It's at the backup spot between. Brett Hundley and Chris Strebler. I mean, Kyle, honestly, what did you make of Cliff Kingsbury saying that they have not decided on the number two quarterback yet? I didn't see that coming. Yeah, me neither. It was, it was eye-opening when he said that. He easily could have said that, you know, Brett Hundley has the experience in this system. He, he has a good relationship with Kyler. He came in last year and, and did a nice job in Seattle. I mean, there's plenty of reasons to just say Brett Hundley is our backup quarterback and Chris Strebler is trying to be number three and make this squad. But he left the door open for Strebler. And, 
I think that's a very good thing for his chances of making the team and, and trying to make this push to not only be a, a jack of all trades special teamer slash, you know, wildcat quarterback slash trick play quarterback, but actually be someone who they rely on. I mean, obviously, if Chris Trebler is your backup quarterback, you're one injury away from him being your full-time quarterback. So they have to like what they see if, if he's truly in a competition with Brett Hundley. And as far as the leveler playing special teams, I mean, Darren, they really don't know to what degree he can tackle and or take a hit. Even in the red and white practice, when he broke free on the zone read and he ran it in, two DBs pulled up. They weren't hitting him. He had the black jersey on. He had the non-contact jersey on. So without any preseason games, you really have no idea how he would be with contact. Well, I mean, let's be fair. He has played a couple years in the Canadian Football League and, and you could see on that, and he's not a small man. So I, I think they're, I think they'd be less worried about how he takes contact if he has the ball than if he actually had to tackle somebody and bring somebody to the ground or that kind of thing or how he might block. Um, what I find interesting is, is I feel like we, we all we talked about uh, with Chris Streveler when he showed up was all the things he could do aside from being quarterback. And it feels like most of the time when Cliff Kingsbury has talked about him and even when Chris Streveler has talked himself it's been all about him being the quarterback and now this it kind of comes to an apex with him saying okay we're not we haven't technically decided on the backup quarterback situation I will say that I feel like given the coronavirus circumstances and given where we are and given the fact that Strebler might be able to do some things on special teams um, this feels like more likely than ever that they might keep three quarterbacks in the 53-man roster which has been something that a lot of teams have gotten away from over the past few years. But if he can do some things on special teams, that gives you a, a big opening right there. I just don't – with Brett Hundley and what he did at the end of last season, considering week 16 and leading the touchdown drive at Seattle, then taking the bow, and then the touchdown that you had in the Rams game in week 17, he's, he checks every box here in the pandemic world. He's proven. He knows the offense. He has the experience. These are all things that Chris Strevelo does not have. So he might be on the roster. I really don't expect him to challenge for that backup spot. We'll see. We'll, we'll see exactly what happens. But uh, I, do, I do think that he's a really good fit for this type of offense, though, where he's athletically to run zone read type stuff. And he, he, he doesn't have the strongest arm from what we can see, but he can do quick game passes. It, you almost think back to like video games and having a mobile quarterback where that's such a big part of what he does. And with Kyler, they don't want him to run a bunch because his arm talent is so good. And because he's the franchise quarterback who you don't want to get hurt with Chris Trevler, who's not at that level, you would be more of a running team where like when Brett Hundley comes in, you're doing a lot of zone reads. So I think Chris Trevler does have a, a, a nice fit within an offense that Cliff Kingsbury runs. To be honest, Paul, there is one thing Chris Strebler absolutely has over Brett Hundley, and that is a Grey Cup championship ring. So, <laughs> that's right. And, and probably a fur coat, but what? Yeah. That's a whole other thing. That's right. Oh, the, the memories of the fur coat. You know, I mean, shirtless. Uh, you know, with a cowboy hat on and a beer in one hand and the Grey Cup in the other. There, there's no doubt about it. Uh, technically, though, the, I, I will say the fur coat was his girlfriend's mother's fur coat. It's, it wasn't his fur coat. So. See, that's the kind of inside knowledge I look forward to here on Cardinals Underground. I, I had no, I didn't know if he was a Joe Namath and he just automatically had it in his Winnipeg closet, or you know, I, I didn't know about. It. That's good. That's good. They, they, he he said, and I remember talking to him about it this summer uh, when I asked him about that photo because you got to ask him about the photo. 
Um, he got the sunglasses on a road trip. He got the either the cowboy hat or the sunglasses on a road trip. The other one he got in Winnipeg somewhere. And then the, the, the fur coat was his girlfriend's mom's. And as quarterbacks, they all decided, I guess, early in the playoffs or before they actually won the Gary Cup, if we get to – if we win this title and we have a parade, we are going all out on the parade. And that was his version of all out. So, you got to like that. You've been to Winnipeg on a hockey road trip. You can't buy sunglasses in Winnipeg. I mean, nobody wears them. You don't need them. So I'll you- be honest. I've been, I've been to Calgary. I've been to Edmonton. I've been to Vancouver. And Toronto and Montreal on hockey road trips. I did not go to Winnipeg in those days. The year that I did it, Winnipeg was not in the league. They were actually in Phoenix, the team that I was actually yeah. traveling with. So there's that. But you know what? He's a quarterback, and I think he's got enough height as a Taysom Hill type that if they did cut him, I think he is the one guy they might lose. Maybe. And, and so in this world where there might not be a lot of player movement because there's no preseason games, there's no film for other teams to take a look at, and you're not auditioning for 31 other teams, but I think he's the one guy that another team might kick the tires on and actually give a roster spot to if the Cardinals cut him free. And that's the key when you start talking about taking a flyer on because if he gets cut, um, the only way you absolutely lose him is if another team claims him. And if they claim him, you got to put him on your 53-man roster for at least three weeks. And I just don't know – that's an awful valuable roster spot in this day and age for somebody that you don't know anything about other than his CFL stuff. So I think that's less likely than maybe another year. Let's put it that way. I mean, take a look at some of the backup quarterbacks around the NFL. If you look at some of the depth charts, that's all, that's all I'm saying. And – Look, we shouldn't bury the lead, Kyle, so we'll go to you on, on Kyler Murray. And just – he met the media here this week, and we talked about this on Cards Camp Central in that we know he has a quick release. We know he has the accuracy. We know he has the quick feet, and he has the speed. So now if you add the quick decision-making to the arsenal, look out, right? Yeah, and Cliff Kingsbury was very complimentary about his progression there, where he's a guy who is noticeably more comfortable within the offense, Kingsbury said. And you're right. I mean, you look back to last year and he wins Offensive Rookie of the Year, and he's admitted a couple times about, you know, winging it a little bit and not exactly knowing what a defense was doing against him. And you think if this year he's understanding pre-snap, what a team is going to do. I mean, if a team rotates safeties and they're playing too high instead of cover three, that's, that's a big deal when you're trying to dissect a coverage. If you don't know what's coming, it's going to force you to second guess yourself and, and not make a decisive throw. If you already know what a defense is going to do, you're going to know exactly where the soft spot is, whether it's zone or man, and you can make that throw. So his ability is there. I think he's making that mental progress. And and this is why everybody talks about the second year and and Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, these guys taking a leap because they saw it all for a season, whether it was on the field like Lamar or just watching tape uh, for Mahomes' point of view. But Kyler playing all 16 games is really big. And, yeah, this is why people think he's going to take this extraordinary step from a very talented player to a true star. I just think of on the defensive side, if Drake Kirkpatrick can be that other corner, then finally Vance Joseph can dial it up and design it the way he wants on defense. But conversely, on the offensive side of the ball, Darren, as opposed to last year when at times with the injury to Christian Kirk and without a DeAndre Hopkins and before the arrival of a Kenyon Drake and the emergence of a Dan Arnold, you know, the Cardinals couldn't spread the field 
like they want it. They couldn't make a defense defend the entire gridiron. Now, with all those weapons I just cited, and Kyler in his second year, plus the legs, then I just I see the offense so much more dynamic than a year ago. Is that a fair assessment? I think it is. I mean, I think ultimately that's that's why well let's that's why you trade for DeAndre Hopkins. Number one is to get that ultimate receiving threat that probably fits isn't these days um and to to really draw the defense's attention and you add in kyler's maturation and a full year of drake and you mentioned potentially dan arnold or even max williams doing some more stuff i i i how do you not like the potential for this offense now we'll see how that goes i i think and granted it was a much different situation but i think the expectations were fairly high going into the week one last year and those first three quarters were painful to watch. And I'm not saying it's we're in anywhere near the same situation here, but um, I, I think you're, you're feeling cautiously optimistic, but I think part of the thing for me, Paul, is with everything going on with preseason and training camp and no off season, how this is all going to work. I feel like there's such a gigantic unknown once we start playing football that, um, I'm pretty much prepared for anything. All right, so, so, so let me stoke the flames a little bit. Let's, let's just get the hype train just full bore at, at this point. I mean, Kyle, what if I said that Andy Isabella really did emerge this year? How would that play out in this offense? What would that add to this Cardinals offense that is already theoretically loaded with weapons? You add the elite speed of an Andy Isabella as an effective, efficient receiver how, where, in what way would that play out? Yeah, I mean, I think he's the perfect tool for a Cliff Kingsbury offense. I mean, you see so much of this motion stuff, and they hand it off on jet sweeps a decent amount of time, and sometimes they don't, and it's just a decoy. But Andy Isabella gets your attention when he's doing that stuff. And if you throw Andy Isabella a bubble screen and he makes a guy miss, all of a sudden you can talk about a pretty big play. So, I mean, I look at – you look at last year, and I feel like – you were hoping that Kyler and Cliff could have a big season and it it wasn't really a lot of substance behind that hope. But now that they've done it for a season, they had so much success toward the end of the year and you had Hopkins. I feel like it's a lot more realistic this season because you've seen what they can do already, knowing how much Kyler is going to improve in his second year. When you look historically at quarterbacks and getting the all pro receiver. And like you said, Andy Isabella in his second year, Christian Kirk is only in his third year. There's a lot of young pieces on offense that should continue to grow. A little disappointed right now on Kyle that he mentioned Andy Isabella, jet sweep decoy. And he didn't. Hi, Andy. Thank you. There you go. You beat the buzzer. You beat the buzzer. <laughs> well done. That's good. That's good. That's good. Darren, are, are, are you buying Andy Isabella in year two, the round two pick? Because there's been a lot of hype with Andy Isabella, and a lot of talk. What have you seen? What do you think? I guess we would need to define a little bit when you say, am I buying him? I guess we need to define that. I mean, if you're asking me, am I buying Andy Isabella as a guy who's going to get 60 receptions and, you know, eight touchdowns and kind of come out of nowhere – I don't know if I'm going that far, but I do think he has the opportunity, depending on how this all shakes out and how much this offense can be effective. Cause again, so many mouths to feed on offense, you're going to have to be super successful to get everybody some statistics. I do think he's got a chance to make an impact there. I do like the way he's approached practice. I do like the way he's catching the ball with more confidence. I, 
some ways you can kind of sometimes feel like that's an intangible. I mean, I feel like you can tangibly see Andy Isabella catch the ball with more confidence, if that makes any sense. Um, I like the way he's carrying himself. I like the fact that he said he beat himself up too much last year and he's kind of put a stop to that and realized, look, I'm going to get criticized. You just got to make the mistake and move on. Um, again, he's saying the right stuff, but I, I think it feels like it's translating on the field. And, and I think we've, I don't know if we've actually talked about on this in the past, lots of different platforms where this stuff comes up, but I will say this. I love the fact that everybody seems to back Andy Isabella. Larry Fitzgerald loves Andy Isabella. Kyler Murray loves Andy Isabella. I, I, I think the coaches want more from him, but his teammates are in his corner and the right teammates are in his corner. Um, I think Christian Kirk loves Andy Isabella. So I think having that support from the guys that matter, I think will help him in year two. And I do think he can help this offense. Six or seven receivers make the final 53, Kyle. Are, are we thinking seven? I wouldn't be surprised if it's six. I mean, it all depends. You, you mentioned a guy like Jojo Ward. There's a lot of bubble guys that you have to figure out if it makes sense to to put this guy on the team. And there's a lot of things to weigh, but six or seven, it wouldn't surprise me either way. And I might be leaning towards six at this point. It's interesting when Steve Kime did his media first of the year, uh, a 98.7 FM Arizona sports, the Cardinals flagship, he was asked position battles. And it's what he didn't name. He listed running back, he listed safety, he listed safety, he listed linebacker, but he didn't say right tackle or corner. What did you take from that? Kyle, real quick, and then we'll go to Darren. Right tackle, for example. I mean, has that already been decided in your opinion, you think? Kelvin Beecham, just the experience and 99 starts in his career, wins out? I mean, if he's naming those positions, I think he's talking more about the back end because safety, you know who the starters are going to be, and it's more about the competition to make the roster. But, you know, talking about right tackle, I, I do think Kelvin Beecham and Cliff Kingsbury has said on uh, Arizona Sports Station that, if the season were to start today, it would be Kelvin Beecham as the starting right tackle. So I think it's been trending that way. And he's a veteran with experience. And right now, I think he clearly is the guy that they want to win that job. I think Justin Murray is a valuable reserve. Josh Jones has talent, but is still pretty young. Um, so, yeah, I think Beecham's the guy. Cornerback, Drake Kirkpatrick. Uh, do you expect him to be the guy, Darren? And, and how equipped do you think he is? You know, I, I think that comes down to uh, Kelvin Beecham signed late, not as late as Drake or Patrick, obviously. Um, but at least he's been around for the entirety of whatever this camp ramp up thing has been for the Cardinals, whereas Kirkpatrick came a lot later. So the question becomes, can he absorb it as quickly as maybe Beecham has in this situation? I mean, I do think as a cornerback, and if you're talking about having a guy on the island like they want to do with their cornerbacks, I think that's maybe a little easier to comprehend uh, because, you know, as Bruce Arians like to say, you, you know, you got him, you're the got him guy, you, you go get him or however he used to say it. I mean, it's, it's not a super hard concept to take if you're going to take a guy one-on-one -on, -one on the outside and just say stick with him. Um, now, is he in shape? I don't know. But, I mean, at this point, Cliff Kingsbury is making the point that not everybody – is in the shape they need to be in anyways because of how this has all come about. So I think ultimately Kirkpatrick was always a guy that they wanted to have end up outside. Now, whether he's there week one, I'd like to see, but we've talked about this before. Byron Murphy's a the guy they want to have on the inside. 
and not have on the outside. I do think if it's not Kirkpatrick on the outside, it will be Murphy. So it's one of those things where it's like, how badly do you want to make sure Murphy stays inside is how quickly Kirkpatrick comes around. I kind of look at it like that. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. And Cliff Kingsbury also said that some of the up-tempo they've been doing in practice, because you've heard some of the defensive guys talk about how fast things have been at times. They said, well, a lot of that's designed for conditioning. Make sure everybody's getting in shape. I remember end of camp last year, Justin Pugh making the comment, I could fall out of bed and run a 10K right now. My cardio is unlike uh, it's, it's ever been in this Cliff Kingsbury offense. So I, I thought that was pretty intriguing as well. Um, how, where else? I mean, when this all comes down, the final 53, your eyes are going to go where on that final roster and depth chart? Any other areas we're missing right now? Uh, I mean, I, I think what, what we touched on with inside linebacker, if you're talking about which players are going to make the team, to me, inside linebacker and safety are the most intriguing. With Cliff mentioning Ezekiel Turner, I think that's a huge announcement for Ezekiel Turner because Cliff Kingsbury doesn't single out guys very regularly. And the fact that he said his name, I think, is a good sign that he's certainly in the mix to make the team. And maybe that gives him the idea that he's he's probably going to make it. I mean, I, I can't say for sure, but if a coach is praising you, that's that's usually a good thing. So Ezekiel Turner seemed like he was on that bubble. He's a special teams guy, like we've talked about. Um, not a big player on defense throughout his career yet. Um, so Ezekiel Turner, Evan Weaver is a draft pick who is a late round pick who, you know, seems like he's in good shape to make the team. And then you look at safety with the Charles Washington and Chris Banjo and Deontay Thompson, some, some reserve safeties all fighting and, and you can easily keep four or five safeties. So I feel like they're not only competing with each other, but also the DJ Fosters and the Ezekiel Turners and all these other guys from other positions where you're really looking at them for special teams capabilities. Since I'm up here on the set where we did the red and white practice telecast, I'm going to do a dramatic reenactment. This is afterwards, towards the end of practice, actually. We're interviewing the defensive coordinator, Vance Joseph. Wolf's over there. I don't know what he's doing. He's probably on TikTok. I'm doing the interview. And, uh, and I'm asking Vance Joseph about Isaiah Simmons. So I asked Isaiah, Isaiah Simmons' question, and I reached over here. One of the great things about being in the stadium is you have a cup holder right here. I love the stadium cup holder. Boom. Ask the question. I'm taking a drink. I'm off camera. Well, Vance Joseph gave like a four-second answer on Isaiah Simmons. And I'm like, well, okay, Stephen Colbert again. You know what that means? Probably something. I don't know what that means. I mean, does it mean like he's really not going to have much of a role in the opener because you have the experience of a Devondre Candle? It doesn't mean like, okay, um, we're not – I don't know, Darren. I mean, what's your best guess on Isaiah Simmons and his role early in this season? I think that's a great question. Um, I think, I, I think one, I think it's going to be very much week to week. I think it's going to depend on who they're playing or those first four games, especially, you know, who they might match up with. I mean, let's face it, that first week you're, you're playing the 49ers and George Kittle and the whole point, well, not the whole point, but a vast majority of the point of why you drafted Isaiah Simmons is because you desperately need somebody to cover tight ends and somebody six, four and 240 pounds that can run like the wind is probably a good place to start. So I would say that um, there's going to be a role and you know, how diverse it is early on. I, I kind of want to see that Vance Joseph has made it very clear a couple times when he's talked in his zoom interviews uh, about Isaiah Simmons that, you know, it's one thing to like, 
be mentally strong and in the classroom, really get it and then through the walkthroughs, go everywhere you want. And then when the rubber meets the road and everybody's playing full speed, which you cannot replicate unless you're in a game, which they're not going to have, you can't know. And it tends to, I think the word Vance used was, it tends for you to go from being uh, looking really good to looking okay. And so I, I think there's going to be a caution of, let's make sure that Isaiah Simmons is a little bit more than okay before we start sending him everywhere. So I, I think that might be part of it, at least at the outset. And you know what? When I think of the opener against the Niners, I think of Kyle Shanahan. And guys, think of some of the innovative sets you've seen and schemes you've seen out of Kyle Shanahan. Stuff he'll bust out of nowhere. And now it's like Cliff Kingsbury. You give him the entire offseason, and who knows what's coming from Kyle Shanahan and that 49ers offense, especially since they're dealing with a lot of injuries to receiver. How exactly is he going to scheme this up? What kind of personnel packages is he going to use? The degree of difficulty in just making your pre-snap reads and knowing where you need to be when there could be some pretty exotic looks coming from Kyle Shanahan, I think that's got to be on the mind, Kyle, of Vance Joseph and any rookie out on that field in the first quarter of the first game. Yeah, and Kyle Shanahan runs a lot of heavy sets with a, a tight end or two tight ends and a fullback, and they do a lot of stuff where it's more of the traditional base offense when so many teams are doing 11 personnel, and Cliff obviously will do 10 personnel. So it's interesting if Isaiah Simmons can be on the field in a base defense situation because it doesn't make a ton of sense at linebacker with – Jordan Hicks and Devondre Campbell, who both seem like better run stoppers right now uh, than Isaiah Simmons. So do, can he find a role? It seems like he makes more sense as a dime linebacker where he's got these coverage skills, but he's also a bigger guy. So it, it helps being in the box while also being able to cover. It's, it's a unique game and we'll see exactly how they use him. I think every week, kind of like Darren was saying, it, it could be vastly different he could see a, a decent amount of playing time in a certain game because of a matchup and then not as much in a different one because of the scheme you're facing it, it'll be it'll be interesting to watch him and maybe at some point he breaks through and it says this guy's too good to leave off the field but still early on I think they'll pick and choose when he's in there I think he's going to get tested Darren a lot like Daryl Washington used to remember Daryl Washington's rookie year before he put on some of that good weight, he was like 220, like 222. And teams knew he, he could run. He, they knew the elite speed he had for a linebacker. And they would just go right at him. And I wonder if and when Isaiah Simmons is out there, if that's what offenses will choose to do. To Kyle's point about how you know that Jordan Hicks and Devondre Campbell can stop the run. But at the NFL level, I bet your offenses are going to make Isaiah Simmons prove that. Well, I mean – if there's any team, especially out of the box, that can go in that direction, it'd be the 49ers, number one. Although, again, this is one of the reasons why it was so important, Isaiah Simmons or not, that this team beef up their defensive line. And you're hoping that having Jordan Phillips plugging up the middle a little bit um, will slow the possibility of that. I mean, let's face it, when, when Isaiah Simmons was at the combine and, and going into the draft, that was one of the things people brought up when they talked about him being a linebacker was can he hold up against the run so look every guy is going to get tested at what their perceived weakness might be and he's a rookie um, and I know he's a top 10 pick but I, I do think you need to set your expectations 
not overly high. I mean, you want the guy to succeed, and I think he will succeed. But if he's if he's not Daryl Washington in year four right out of the box, and I'm hoping year four wasn't when he got suspended. Think about that quick, yeah. If, if, he's, if he's not Daryl Washington, the pro bowl or all pro uh, right out of the box, I mean, he's got a little time to get there. I mean, we can talk all day about, oh, it's too bad they went out and signed Devondre Campbell because they ended up getting Isaiah Simmons anyways. Well, I think it's a, a, really a blessing because I do think it puts him in a better position to bring along Isaiah Simmons the way – they see fit, and quite frankly, the way his play dictates how he should be brought along. And you guys are right. Steve Kime made the comment that he felt like a year ago he gave Vance Joseph a gun with no bullets when it came to trying to defend the tight end. And it showed. NFL teams will find a weakness, and they'll make you stop it. And if you don't, they'll continue to exploit it. And the Cardinals gave up 16 receiving touchdowns to the tight end in 2019. And as soon as they made the selection of Isaiah Simmons, I know because – I was part of the crew that was hosting the, the draft special. Steve Kime came out and said, okay, guess what? We have Devondre Campbell and we have Isaiah Simmons. So now if the defense can't stop the tight end, it's on them. So that was by design. There, there's no doubt about it. And George Kittle out of the box with a lot of injuries to most of the Niners receiving core at this point. I mean, oh my, I mean, he'll get a dozen targets right out of the gates in, in that game. You, you would figure, especially with a new big contract, and so forth. So we'll see. What about, Kyle, on defense, that notion that Darren brought up of the beefed-up interior D-line? To what degree do you think those inside linebackers can expect to roam, seek, and destroy without getting as many bodies on top of them this year? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a bigger group when you talk about Jordan Phillips and, and Corey Peters in there. All they have to do is stand there and they're taking up a lot of space and making it tough for guys to move them. So I think it's it's going to be a big help. But I mean, I, we'll have to see. I'm not I'm not ready to say that they're going to be th this great run stopping team because I think they need to, to show that. But they're certainly a lot bigger, not only on the line, but also on, in the inside linebackers. When a lot of last season you had Hassan Reddick and Joe Walker trying to play that role and they just they weren't run stoppers. That wasn't their forte. So I think the Cardinals are clearly bigger in the front seven and we'll see how it shakes out. But I think it's a good thing. And Devon Kennard, he, he isn't as big as a guy like Terrell Suggs, but he's certainly more nimble and, and that could help. I think he's a guy that's a more versatile player. Overall, you have to like what their front seven looks like this year compared to last. And I'll say this, in Cards Camp Central, I had a chance to go one-on-one -on -one with Cliff Kingsbury, and I asked him about all the time in the offseason of what week one might look like. Kyle Shanahan, known for being innovative like Kingsbury. I mean, Darren, you guys are going to have, you and Kyle are going to have a lot of ammunition to select perhaps the schemed up. What's the play of the week again? Help me out here. I'm failing. Where's my prompter? What's the, the film, play? film room? Thank you. So film room, I'm telling you, week one, there's going to be some innovative, creative stuff that these two guys are going to scheme up. And, and, and it's sort of the game within the game. The two head coaches and play callers and schemers, I think, are looking forward to busting that stuff out on each other. It's funny. I did enjoy that interview, Paul. You did a bang up job. And I, I thought it was hilarious when he kind of was like, well, it's, it's kind of like when I coached in bowl games where you have like 30 days to prepare for, uh, you know, whatever you want to do. Now, again, the other thing he made the point of is you want to make sure you're executing at a high level. You don't want to outthink yourself. You don't want to get 
too fancy and then have something get screwed up in the first game because you're trying to prove you're smarter than the guy on the other sideline. Let's face it, for all of Kyle Shanahan's brilliance, and there is a lot of it, um, and, and part of his success is because of the moving around and the creativity, a lot of what the 49ers do well is this kind of very basic kind of offense in terms of like running it down your throats or some misdirection with a basic play. So I, you can be creative without it looking like three password back, a pass backwards things and then a bomb down the field. I mean, it, it could be, it could look, it could end up being a tight end screen. It's just the way it's put together. And I am curious to see how all this goes. And going back to what you said earlier, Paul, about, how dynamic this offense can be for me it might be even a little bit less about how creative the plays exactly are but how many different ways he can go with any one play I mean you could pick one formation and how many different options viable dangerous options are you going to have on any one play that's that's where an offense gets really scary by the way, speaking of game day, uh, this is what it's going to look like on game day, at least the first two games for the Arizona Cardinals behind us. It's not what it's going to sound like, though. Teams are already working with fake crowd noise in practice. Man. Yes, Allen Iverson, we're talking about practice because it's getting them game ready. And I actually saw there was um, – I don't know if this is preliminary or if this has been decided upon, Kyle, but I actually saw there were some – decibel regulations that were issued and you can't go above I think it's 80 decibels like uh you know I think 85 is like being in a NASCAR race and 100 is like being at a Metallica concert or Motorhead uh for you old school guys and, and and so there are limits and my question is didn't we talk about this in addition to Cardinals Underground there'll be someone down there with one of those decibel reader meetings and it'll be and there'll be someone from the league trying to ascertain whether a team when, when, when their opponent has the ball, is cranking it up to, like, you know, near Metallica levels. Could you imagine if there was no limit? It would be insane what they would pump in there. So it, it makes sense to have that uniformity. And I'm, I'm kind of waiting to see, like, if there's certain rules where you have to do the crowd noise when both teams have the ball or if you're allowed to do it whenever you want. You know, can you pump it up on third down like it usually is? There's a lot of – things to the crowd noise that are interesting and um, I mean if, if there's silence when you're on offense do you want that do you want a little bit of a murmuring like there's a lot of different configurations that these coaches and, and the NFL have to figure out when it comes to crowd noise and I, I think it, it does make sense to have it since games naturally have that noise and I think if it was completely quiet it might actually be a competitive advantage for certain teams but with a decibel regulation, it, it sounds like it's going to be pretty similar to what it would be if there were fans. What, what, what I'm really curious about is I, I feel like from the preliminary reports, and we'll see if this has, it holds true, it feels like if you have fans, you're not pumping in the noise. It's, it's if you don't have fans. So then the question becomes, let's say, let's say for argument's sake, they set the decibels at 75. Is that louder than if you let – 20% of your fan base in and like are you actually at a competitive disadvantage if you have fans because your 20% can't get to that level of loud you know yeah. I mean that's that I'm curious about that I hadn't even thought about that no that, that's a, that's a great point I mean think about if you're think about if Peyton Manning was still playing and there was crowd noise mandatory through the entirety of the game he would not be happy because if you guys remember Peyton Manning especially with Denver 
he would be like this. And the Broncos fans, it would be at a whisper. It would turn into like the U.S. Open golf tournament. It would be like uh, there was like course marshals on the sidelines with the quiet please signs out there. It was unbelievable how quiet that stadium would get because Peyton's at work, you know, a quarterback at work, he's got to operate. So I, I am curious as to – and then you have teams that already have a track record. Um, <laughs> Atlanta uh, have already had some indiscretions. And then think of how different Seattle will be. You guys have been to Seattle every year. Think of that environment, how different that will be. And what is Seattle allowed to crank it up to? So um, I'm waiting to see what the fallout is. You know there's going to be some drama and controversy over the faux crowd noise issue week one at one of the venues. My guess is, like you said, I think you're going to be allowed to do what you want when your team is on offense if you're at home because, I mean, that's what it's like when even with a stadium full of fans, you have quiet and that's what they're used to. So I, I think it's going to be similar to what, a regular crowd would be and there's nothing official yet and I I do feel like even if fans are allowed into a stadium I think they the, the crowd noise will still be allowed because Darren's right like if you have 15 to 20,000 fans that decibel level is not coming close to the thing you're gonna pump in so I think I think they're gonna have to let them get up to that 75 with the artificial noise in order to make it fair and to allow fans in if it's safe. Do you ever go to the old Metrodome Darren back before they oh, yeah. They, they cracked down on the Vikings. Vikings used to put these huge rock and roll amplifiers behind the visitor's bench, and they would crank music. And, oh, I mean, it would drive – players literally were, like, putting their fingers in the ear holes of their helmets. That's how bad it was. Finally, the NFL had to, had to pass a rule on that because the Vikings were way out of hand with that volume. Yeah, look, there's, there are teams that have played – fast and loose with the sound. And, and I, I go back to, like, I, I am curious about uh, how the NFL is going to regulate it, how they're going to pay attention to it. I mean, the NFL always has people at games, observers that, that could handle stuff like that. But, like, where are they going to be? Are they going to be down on the sideline? Because one of the things that is huge this year is you can't have that many people down on the sideline. So is there going to be room for this dude who's going to be measuring how loud the fake crowd is? Maybe it would be the uniform police guy, the guy who looks to see if your sock is too low or too high or if they're, you know, they're the same height, and then he gives you, like, you know, the $5,000 fine for the uniform infraction. Give that guy, like, a decibel reader, meter of some sort. He, you know, you just have to have a, a dual gig, you know, along Ron with – Ron Gardine. Ron right. Gardine is the guy who does it at, uh, at Cardinals games. You know, instead of just looking for the untucked shirt, boom, he's got to do the, the decibel reading. I, I think that's, you know, reasonable. I don't know. I'm okay with that. You know, everybody's got to do more in 2020. We know how maybe, it works. Maybe it'll be you, Paul. You can you can be you, you can be yeah. on the road games and. Yeah. Do we know where you're going to be in the in the on road games yet? Do you know where you're going to be yet? Darren, that's a sore subject. That's a third rail. I'm still tier three. I, I don't know if I'm going to be anywhere near the sideline. I have no idea. I have no clue. I'm going to be in a studio somewhere in Dubuque at this point. <laughs> I, I have no idea where where exactly they're going to put me. I I don't know. I don't know. I'm a little, uh, you know, a little salty about it. I don't know. I don't know what to expect at this point. You know, I don't think anybody knows what to expect, which is kind of scary given how close we are to the season. But yeah, that's a podcast for another day, Paul. That's right. Actually, the better word is apprehensive. I have no idea what what exactly. I have no idea what what, what is coming. Um, and if I do, like, for here's an example. I'll leave the. This is like bonus coverage for the end of the end of Cardinals. <laughs> if we travel, if yeah, and I'm on the road trip, well. I'm from the Silicon Valley. Yeah. I haven't seen my parents in more than a year. We didn't go this 
this summer purposely. My parents are both 80 years old. Yeah. Am I allowed to even have dinner with my parents that Saturday night? That's a negative, Paul. In San Jose. It's probably, it's, it's right, it's thumbs down, right? That's a, that's a no way. So <laughs> there you go. I mean, it's just, you know, my mom's I mean, like, oh, can we go to dinner, please? What's going on? Well, I, I don't think so, no. I, no. You, I, as far as I know, I do not believe, I, I'm fairly certain that's not. In fact, I think one of the things about traveling this year is it won't matter if you're in New York or San Jose or Cincinnati or Charlotte or wherever it is. You, it's all going to feel the same because all the trips are going to be the same. It's going to be flying in night before, stay in the hotel, go to the game, go home. There you go. Okay. There you go. Kyle, anything to add? Anything at all at this point? I just think it's a smart idea. I mean, you see what happened in, in baseball where yeah. they, they travel more and they're in cities for – several days so I, I I understand why they would like to get out of the hotel and it's got to be tough being a player during this season and the NFL is probably only one night so it's not as bad but I totally get the restrictions and you know if you can travel and just stay in and then go to the game it, it does feel like everything is in place to truly have a season in 2020 and J.R. Sweezy was just talking about this today like few weeks ago he wasn't sure and Chase Edmonds said the same thing he had doubts about whether we could play this year and I think they've done a tremendous job in camp and and if they follow these rules for traveling and games there's certainly a path to get the season in on time without any delays and you just look forward to that I mean like you said there's going to be sacrifices that everybody has to make but I think everybody's doing a really nice job of following those protocols. The, what just happened Paul was we, we took us feeling kind of jokey about whether you could see your parents and, and Kyle brought it back to the somber realization that 2020 sucks, but we all got to suck it up because there's sacrifices to be made. You can have a zoom dinner with them, you know, but you know what? I, Kyle doesn't get all the credit here because Kyle still takes a back seat. And this is for real. The two hour plus red and white practice telecast we did. I came away when we were all done with that. The most memorable moment was Michael Bidwell with a first-person account of what he went through yep. when he had the coronavirus and what, five days he said he spent in the ICU? That, that was a uh, very poignant and genuine recount of what it was like to deal with the coronavirus and how diligent he was and how he still got infected. And so, um, yeah, that, that, was a, that was a somber, sobering takeaway from that story that was very well said by the Cardinals team owner. And it, it was a very human moment that even people who I talked about, who came up to me afterwards and, and talked about and I've heard from, for all the football and all the great coverage, all the interviews, that's what people remember. Yeah. You know, and, and it just gets back to we're all in this together. And especially when on a road trip, you know, obviously you're going to do anything and everything you can to make sure. And who knows? I mean, I honestly, the way, and I'll leave it, I'm honestly, honestly bullish, knock on wood, on the NFL getting through a 16-game season, I, you know, other than just sort of a vibe because we're around it every day. Guys are taking it serious, very serious. Everyone is following the protocols, and hopefully that gives us hope. So, Fingers there you go. I'm, I'm sitting here on a soapbox, so I'll get off the soapbox here as we look down on the field. That's a good one, Paul. It's good, <laughs> good soapbox to be on. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was a bit disingenuous by Kyle. Well, I'll, I'll come back with a, with a realization of that later. That'll do it for Cardinals Underground.